you clap on? We're here to worship our King. Sing this out. Go ahead and have a seat. Don't get too comfortable because we don't want anybody to fall asleep. But uh, welcome this morning. It's so good to see you here. Jeff just said to me, we can hear them singing. It's awesome. <laughs> this is so cool. Well, I just want to say uh, it, is, it is such a blessing uh, to be here this morning. Thank you, Olivet, for letting us, Cornerstone, come and uh, just be here with you to do church. Our mission statement at Cornerstone is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, in, in light of that, I just want to take the opportunity to say thank you to you, Olivet, uh, because our, our partnership with you in the past year has really allowed us to do that mission better. It's been awesome. And I just, I just uh, God is so good. Amen? It's just the fact that we're here this morning with you is a testament to God's faithfulness to us. Uh, both churches have been through just a ton together, and uh, this past year has been such a blessing for us doing Awana and the gathering and all this sorts of stuff. And uh, I've made a good friend out of it, and a lot of people have made some good friends. So we just want to say thank you to you. So if you're from Cornerstone, give a hand to all the Olivet people here because we love you guys. We love you very much. And uh, before I let Andrew speak, we're going to announce this a couple times because I know as the service goes on, your stomach's going to start growling and you know about the picnic later on today. Official announcement is that the picnic is going to be here. Right after the service, picnic's going to be here so you don't have to wait a long time to eat. Uh, but again, I'm going to let Andrew talk a little bit. All right. Thank you guys so much. We are so, so, so glad to see you guys here. Uh, it's such a, such a blessing to look in, and see this church full and, um, and not only full, but full of uh, familiar faces, uh, people who have become friends over the last year, um, and, and also a lot of new faces. So thank you all so much. Thanks to Nick and, and the, the Cornerstone team for coming in. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a, just a, a long time, and not just because Ryan's preaching and I don't have to work this morning, but, uh, but just because uh, it's such a, such a blessing to be able to worship with the whole body of Christ. And... Um, this is just a reminder that uh, even though uh, we're, we're two different churches, uh, there truly is only one church, and that's the Church of Christ. And uh, it, it's just it's a blessing to, to be gathered uh, with other brothers and sisters in Christ from different walks of life and different backgrounds and to be worshiping the same God together. Amen? Amen. Amen. So thank you guys so, so much. A couple of things. I just want to um, thank everyone that's been involved with VBS over the past week. We had people from Cornerstone and people from Olivet that put a lot of work into the VBS program, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful success. We had about 45 students show up, uh, so that was that was great. And not only did we have students from Olivet and students from Cornerstone that we were able to uh, teach about God's love, God's power, God's plan. Um, but we also had a lot of students from the preschool and from the surrounding community, so it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful success. And uh, we had a great barbecue uh, on Friday night, and uh, it was a lot of fun to see uh, not only the kids, but also their parents as a kind of a cap off of the, the week. So it was a wonderful success. Thank you so very much. Yes. So. 
Uh, also, one other announcement, uh, not this coming week, but the week after that, we start a, another very important ministry that, uh, that we've been involved with that uh, we want to make sure that everyone's aware of. It's called Camp Vera, so I'm going to ask Lisa Bloomhagen to come up and uh, just give a quick overview of Camp Vera. So uh, those of you that don't know uh, what it is, uh, we're going to just take a, a brief moment here to introduce it. Hi, I'm Lisa. In 2003-2004, we had a lot of immigrants coming in from Liberia, West Africa, and many of them chose um, Olivet as their church home, and we became very close to several families. In 2006, we had a tragedy happen in one of those families. One of the children was swimming in Grace Lake and drowned, and that just really took all of us back. And several of us decided that we did not want that to happen again, so we decided to provide swimming lessons for as many immigrant children as we could find that we know. And so as a result of that, we started Camp Vera, which is named after Vera, who drowned. And this is our seventh year doing Camp Vera. It begins on June 17th and ends June 27th. It's Monday through Thursday. And we go to Birdland Pool and swim in the mornings and then come back over to Olivet and have lunch and fun in the afternoons until about 3 o'clock. We're in need of a couple more helpers to come help us in the afternoon. If you're interested in just coming and being, you don't have to be a leader, we just need you to be a crowd controller. I think we have enough people in the kitchen, but if you like being in the kitchen, you're welcome to be there too. Talk to me after the service or at the picnic um, or here. I'll be glad to explain things and tell you what to do. Some of these kids are here today. If you've been to Camp Vera, stand up. <laughs> Here's some of our kids. Anybody else? And Serafina. So it's really exciting for us to have everybody here. We've the we have like we've opened it to all nations. So we have I think four or five different ethnic groups and nations coming this year. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, I've been involved with it uh, last year, and, and it's, it's just a wonderful thing. They get something very practical. Um, we take for granted that uh, people that come here from other countries, they don't have the opportunity to learn to swim. So we're, we're meeting practical needs uh, of the kids in the community. Uh, we're, we're making sure they're getting fed and have some structure, and also we get to bring them back here, play games with them, tell them about Jesus. It's a, it's a wonderful ministry. Please talk to Lisa. If, if you don't get a chance to speak with her, you can talk to myself. You could probably even talk to Nick if you need to, if you uh, don't have an opportunity to talk to us today. So, yeah, thanks, Nick. I volunteered you. <laughs> it's great that we're friends because I can do this sort of thing and, and put him on the spot and, uh, and uh, you know, he'll probably pay me back later, I'm sure. But, uh, uh, and you don't have to do it all the, every day. Uh, you can just come in if there's one afternoon where you've got some time. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing. So that's all we're going to say about that. Uh, we're going to move on to the offering. Uh, what we're going to do here, this is going to be highly complicated, but you guys all look like a very smart bunch. Uh, we're going to do two offerings, two churches, uh, just seems the simplest way. So uh, we're going to pass the first plate uh, here on the first song. Uh, the ushers are going to pass the silver plates. That's the, uh, the Olivet uh, offering. And then the second offering will go uh, during the second song. And are you guys using your bags? Are you Okay, and so... So that you guys are going to have the bags. So this is really complicated, but if you're used to putting it in a plate, then just put it in the plate. If you're used to putting your offering in a bag, then put it in the bag. And if you're not used to either one, shame on you. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, 
So g give it to me and I'll make sure it gets to the right place. Uh, you can make checks out to cash. No, um, uh, anyways, I'm sorry. But uh, they're going to play some songs. We're going to pass a plate and then a bag. And uh, I hope it's not too complicated. Let me just pray and, and uh, ask God to, to bless our offerings. Uh, Father God, we are just so incredibly thankful uh, to be here, uh, to be your children, uh, to be called um, beloved by the God of the universe, the creator of the world. Uh, it humbles us and astounds us, and, and we never want to move away from a position of humility and gratitude and thankfulness. So God, we just, we just acknowledge that you have given us everything in Christ Jesus you have given us salvation, and you have provided for every single need. And so, God, please accept our, our monetary offerings as a part of our, our eternal uh, gratitude and, and a part of who we are and, and what we give back to you. Uh, you've given us everything, so we want to give a little bit back to you. So we just ask that you would bless, bless those who give. Uh, may it be out of a spirit of generosity, and bless the funds that are given. May they be put to good uh, purpose uh, for for the sake of your kingdom. We just thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. This is exciting, isn't it? exciting to see this, and uh, we're excited to be here this morning. We're excited uh, to share our, our mission with you guys, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus, and from the sound, even listen to the, annou the announcements, it sounds like, you know, we share a similar vision, doesn't it? We want to see people come to a devoted relationship with Jesus, so we're excited to be a part of this this morning. We're excited for what the future may hold as well. I've, uh, I've been called a lot of things. Uh, I've never been called Ryan before, but that's okay, Andrew. My name, uh, my name is actually uh, Kyle Clarkson is my name. I'm used to people calling me different names. In, in fact, the last time I spoke, I talked about how usually people call me by my brother's name, which is Chad. So I do answer that name. My name is Chad. Uh, I've also, I spoke in, spoke in uh, France a couple years back at a youth conference. And there was a, a magazine called CMML, and it was talking about the speaker that week. And the speaker who spoke to the youth was Carl Claxton. So I also go by uh, Carl Claxton as well, which is some of the people I work with has been an ongoing joke. They continue to call me Carl. So whatever you want to call me is fine, but uh, my name is uh, Kyle Clarkson, and if you have your Bibles, we've been going through the book of John. So you can go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 8 this morning, uh, going to be starting in verse 31. If I keep grabbing my ear, I'm not completely used to, you know, the Justin Timberlake uh, little device going on here, but... But John chapter 8, verse 31, we want to tell you that we believe the Bible is the authoritative and inspired Word of God. Vance was at uh, Cornerstone a few weeks ago, and we were in John chapter 5 talking, and the first thing, one of the first things I said is, and you will notice that there is no verse 4 in your Bible. And he, he was a little concerned that we were omitting verses out of our Bible. But I will assure you, in the original text, verse 4 was not there, and it was added later, so a lot of your Bibles will not have that. But we want to Ensure, assure you that we do believe the Bible is the inspired and authoritative Word of God. So we hold this in very high value. The words in here, we seek to live out. If Jesus says something, we want to follow it. And so we want to encourage you to do the same, to get into the Word, read the Word, 
and, and hear and listen to, to what God may have us and how we should have us live our lives. So we're encouraged. We're going through the book of John. We've been doing this for several weeks. I will tell you the, the book of John, the gospel of John, has had a huge impact on my life personally. When I was 15 years old, I was at a camp called Coronis up in Minnesota, and it was there going through the gospel of John that I made a decision to follow Jesus. It was there for the first time it made sense. Okay, this is who Jesus is, that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus has come, that he has died for me. And it was going through the gospel of John when I was 15 years old when I made the decision to follow Jesus. We have uh, our theme of John is in uh, John chapter 20, verse 31. It says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the verse we've continued to come back to. This has been our theme for the book of John. These words were written so you may believe. And we would challenge you, we would encourage you this morning that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, dig into the book of John. Read the book of John. Because in the book of John, Jesus shows us what it is to have a relationship with him, what it is to be made right before a perfect and holy God. These words were written so you may believe. Amen? Amen. All right, so uh, John chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Before we begin, let us pray. God, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. How awesome to see this. God, you, you want your people to be one so the world may know you've sent your son, Jesus. So God, we, we pray for, for a oneness, uh, a like-mindedness, like-mindedness that, that we would be people that would want to go and reach all nations that we'd be people who want to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is authoritative, that it tells us how we should live. And God, as we read and study the book of John together, God, may we react to Jesus' words. May we just not hear them and let them go, but may we react. May we hear the words and respond to it. So this morning, we ask that, that you would just move me out of the way and that you would challenge and speak to us this morning. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, verse uh, chapter 8, verse 31. We have just been kind of going verse by verse through the book of John. We're going to continue to do that this morning. And so starting in verse 31, here it is. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Okay, a crowd had come. A crowd had gathered. They are now following Jesus. So we hear this phrase, to, to those who had believed. Now, you can first read that and you kind of think, okay, there's people starting to believe and, and follow Jesus. But there's also a, kind of a, a sense that, and maybe you've experienced this in the past. I know being a youth pastor for five and a half years, we saw a large number of people make a profession or make a decision, say, okay, I believe in Jesus. But oftentimes what you, what you find out later on as you look back is not all those people continued on, right? We've seen that. We see it here as well as, as through this discussion and through this conversation, these people turn in a hurry. It says they believe, but as this conversation continues with Jesus, we see at the end they're going to want to stone the guy. All right, And I've experienced that in the past with people who have made a decision and more of just a religious experience than this ongoing obedience 
to Jesus and to what he has called us to. Eugene Peterson wrote a book. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I think that uh, is basically what Jesus is saying right here. If you hold to my teaching, this idea of a long obedience in the same direction, that it's more than just, okay, I know who Jesus is, I believe that, but this long obedience. And I'm not talking about a a decision for the gospel. I'm not talking about a decision to follow Jesus, but to see if it sticks, if you will, you kind of see it later on, don't you? People who have made this decision to follow Jesus begin to show fruit, begin to, to do work for the kingdom of God, begin to pursue Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. This obedience, this, this long obedience in the same direction. He makes the quote in the book, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generation of Christians called holiness. See, God has called us more to just believe. Jesus has called us to follow him, to listen to his words, to listen to the truth, to respond to the truth. Our lives should look different because we believe in Jesus, shouldn't they? And that's what he's saying here, this idea of a long obedience in the same direction. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Almost that is going to be the mark. Not just that you, as right here that says the Jews had believed, not just that you make this profession or believe, but we can see fruit, we can see change, we can see someone who is fully pursuing the kingdom of God. Continues on in verse 32, he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's what we know about Jesus. In John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus has come full of grace and truth. Jesus is truth. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Jesus also says throughout the book of John, truly I say to you. In other words, when Jesus speaks, it is truth. So Jesus has come full of truth. When Jesus speaks, it is truth. We know that Jesus himself is truth. If you ever want to know what truth is, you only have to look one place, right? You only have to look to Jesus. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is telling him, if you know the truth, if you know me, if you know my words, then you will be set free. This is the key knowing Jesus. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and you have never been, and never have been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Let me read again. We are Abraham's descendants, and never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? See, these guys think they've got it, right? They are Jews. They are children of God. They think by association, they got it. They're okay. See, we are children of God. We are Abraham's seed. We're okay. We've got it. Then they go on and make the statement, and we've never been slaves to anyone, which is kind of a funny statement considering they spent hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt. They were marched off to Babylon, captives in Assyria. Now they're under Roman oppression, but yeah, they've been slaves to no one. 
okay? They have been slaves. They don't fully understand it. This is the pride getting in the way. This is thinking they've got it all together because they are God's chosen people. This is what Jesus wants to dispel. He wants to help them understand, as he does oftentimes with the religious people, help them understand that it's not about religion. It's not about where you came from, your lineage or whatever, or going to church or who you're associated with. He wants to point him to himself. He wants to show them their sins, show them how they've fallen short of the glory of God and what they need for their life. And so that's what he's going to kind of continue to do here in verse 34. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is where we start every time. If you want to start with the message of the gospel, this is where it begins. If you want to start with helping people realize they need Jesus in their life, they first must understand they have sin. We are all born into sin. We can go all the way back to Adam. We can look at our lives, and we all know we have sinned. The Bible tells us we all have fallen short of the glory of God. The things we've done in our, lo- our life, the pa- our past, the mistakes we've made, does not match up to God's standard. So we all have sinned. We've all fallen short. And what, what Jesus is pointing out here, because of your sin, you're born into slavery. You are born into slavery. You are born into sin. And he goes back, and you know, you look at that previous verse where he says, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what Jesus is going to go on and tell him, you are born into slavery, but knowing me, you can be set free. Knowing me, and he's going to say that in a second here. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs forever. Okay, remember, these guys think they've got it together, right? They are children of God. They are part of the lineage. They are Jews. They are the chosen people of God. He's pointing out, you know what? You guys are sinners. You guys are slaves to sin. And you know what a slave is? A slave has no permanent place in the family. They understood what a slave was. They understood a slave could be thrown out at any time. They understood a slave had no inheritance. They understood a slave was not part of the family. And what Jesus is pointing out, see, you really aren't part of the family. You guys think you are children of God. But in reality, you guys are slaves. You guys are not part of the family. Slaves to sin. But then he goes on to say, but a son belongs forever. A son is part of the family. A son shares in the inheritance. Verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. He's talking about himself. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. It means, yes, we are all born into slavery. We have all fallen short, but... If you know Jesus, if you know the Son, you can be set free. You can have eternal life, as Jesus calls it. Eternal life, to know him, to be in relationship with him, to be made right before God through Jesus. If you know the Son, the Son will set you free. I know you are Abraham's descendants, you are, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your Father. I love this. He says, you are ready to kill me. 
I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. What's Jesus saying? He says, I have been in the Father's presence. Now, he's going to work himself up. And as we see this very quickly, it's going to kind of escalate in Jesus revealing to this crowd who he is. Abraham is our father, they announced. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do things that Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, has told you the truth that I am, uh, that told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Here they are lining themselves up with this notion of being children of God. And it's a notion we hear a lot, right? You're here in politics. We heard politicians. I remember last election, both candidates come out and say, oh, yes, we are all children of God. We hear this notion all the time. There was a high school graduation a few years back when I was the youth pastor, and they'd asked one of our students to share, to speak at it, and they'd also asked a minister from uh, the community to speak at it. And he gets up and he talks about, hey, we are all children of God. We are all destined to do great things, right? Jesus dispels that notion. And what was so exciting and encouraging for me is that this student as part of our youth group stood up and dispelled that. He says, here is the gospel. Here's how you become a child of God. And this is what Jesus is trying to explain to this group, to this, these Jewish people. Listen, you, you aren't children of God. If you were a child of God, if you were a seed of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. You would live the kind of life that Abraham lived, a life of faith, a life of trust in God. But you are not that. We live in a world that thinks, you know, you believe in, in any God, you're okay. You believe you are a child of God if you believe in any God. Jesus dispels that, doesn't he? Jesus speaks to them. He's speaking to this group right here. Being a child of God means you are no longer a slave to your sin, to your past, but you are now a son because you know the truth, because that truth has set you free. You know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. If you have a relationship, looking back at verse 41, it says this, you are doing the things your own father does. Says, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. In other words, we're going to know, you are going to know who are sons and who are not by how they act, the way in which we live. You will know if someone loves the father, right? It's the same way in my relationship with my wife, all right? I, I've been married 11 years. If I can say all that I want, yes, you know what? I have a relationship with my wife. I love my wife. But if I don't show that, if I better be careful here. But if, if I don't display that in my life, in my actions, in my words, do I really love my wife? That's what he's saying to these guys. You guys don't know the father. If you did, you would do what Abraham did. You would act as Abraham acted. See, we can say all day long, yeah, you know what? I'm a child of God. You know what? He's my father. But if my actions don't reflect that, if my words don't reflect it, if my life does not reflect it, am I really a child of God? Continues on, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. 
this is the mark of someone who loves God. If you ever want to know someone who loves the Father, if they have a relationship with the Father, it's easy. Do they love his son? This is the mark of someone who loves God. This is someone, a mark of someone who loves the Father. Do they follow Jesus? Do they believe in Jesus? Do they love Jesus? If you want to know if someone is a child of God, this is the mark. They love Jesus. They have a relationship with him. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Here he goes again, right? He's been in his presence. Now he's saying, God has sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. This is difficult. I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but for some reason, they are unable to hear. And maybe you've experienced this in your life. I know I did. You know, I, I was 15. I grew up at Cornerstone. You know, this is a church that preaches the message of Jesus. They share the message of Jesus. But for some reason, it wasn't until I was 15 years old when it clicked. When for the first time my eyes were opened, my ears, was op- ears were opened, my heart was opened to the message of the gospel. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. This is who he is. I, heard, I had to have heard it. Well, it could have been, okay, in junior high, if you ask my Sunday school junior high teachers, I literally would put my head down and sleep. So maybe that's why I didn't hear it. I'm not completely sure. That's a true story. But So that could have been part of the reason. But... Maybe you've experienced that. You've shared the message with Jesus. You've had somebody read through the Gospel of John. You've told them who Jesus is, how their sin has separated them from God, how they have a need for Jesus, and yet they don't hear. I remember working, I worked eight years at High V when I was in high school and college, and there was a, a deaf individual that worked here, uh, worked at the store with us, and one of the managers, whenever he was talking to him, would just yell at him. He would just keep yelling. Not that he was angry, but he think by somehow if he talked louder, the guy would hear him. Right, that wasn't the case, obviously. But that's what we do oftentimes. When somebody doesn't hear, when someone doesn't understand, we want to talk louder. We want to keep talking. We want to keep pursuing. And we want to be careful to continue to do that. We want to maybe pray for them. It's not that we don't quit sharing, but it's not that we speak louder and with more authority. But maybe pray that the Spirit would reveal who Jesus is to them that the word of God would reveal who Jesus is to him. So we want to be careful there. Continues on. Somewhere. You belong to your father, this is verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. He's not holding back, is he? Jesus telling him their father is not God, their father is the devil. So here's a group that thinks God is their father, and what is Jesus saying to them? Exact opposite. Your father is the devil. And you may, may want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For is he is a liar and the father of lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. So here they go thinking they are children of God, that God is their father and Jesus says the exact opposite. You know what? Your father is the devil. So basically, those are your options. Either you are a child of God, or your father is Satan. And we, we can tell, if you ever wonder how you live your life, it's not that, that we as followers of Jesus don't, don't fall short. We know we, we all sin, we all make mistakes, but it's this, 
this idea that there, there's guilt. When I know I sin, when I know I fall short, I realize, you know what, that's not how God wants me to live. Those aren't the things that God wants me to do. With, with being a, fa- a, a child of Satan, you know, we, we long for these things. These guys want to murder Jesus. There's no guilt. There's a longing to do these type of things. You, you will see the difference in, in how God operates and how Satan operates, that, that God seeks to heal, that God seeks to restore, that God seeks to love, where the enemy seeks to destroy, right? It says that even in John chapter 10. He has come to destroy. He has come to, to ruin. He has come to hate. He's a liar. He's a murderer. You know, I, I've seen families, even, even last night, talking to a friend and, and, and hearing this story of, of friends of ours that for three weeks now, they've been separated. Family, they have kids, and what a sad story. But this is what our enemy desires to do, to come and destroy. Our enemy seeks to destroy churches, right? I've been part of that, a, a church split. That, that The enemy longs for that type of thing, to destroy. The, the enemy seeks to destroy friendships. I, I don't know, countless times in my life where I have, I've had friends who have influenced and impacted me towards the kingdom, and for one reason or another, you know, that friendship has faded. And those relationships have maybe not been destroyed, but they aren't what they once were. This is what the enemy longs for, to destroy. He's full of lies. He's a murderer. But God and Jesus seek to restore, seek to heal, seek to make right. How awesome is that, to be a child of God? This is what God longs for for our lives. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I love that. Here's what he's saying. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Remember, Jesus, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus speaking truth. Truly I say to you, truly I say to you, he speaks truth. If you want to get in an argument with Jesus, like these guys are, Jesus is going to win, right? He is truth. He is truth. He speaks truth. This isn't an argument. These guys are going to win. When Jesus speaks, it is truth. These guys cannot prove Jesus wrong. There is no guilt found in Jesus. There is no sin found in Jesus. And that's what he's telling them. You know, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. When Jesus speaks, it is truth. Why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Ouch. You guys are not children of God. This this is what you'll see from Jesus. When people come to Jesus, when people come to Jesus when they're broken, when they're contrite, when they realize they need God, how does Jesus respond? He responds with compassion. He responds with kindness. He responds with love. He responds openly to these people if they're broken, if they're hurting, if they're contrite, if they realize they need God. But we see throughout the Gospels when people who are self-righteous, people who think they have it all together, come to Jesus, how does he respond? Like this. You guys are liars. You guys are children of the devil. These are harsh words. The same Jesus who openly welcomes prostitutes, Stealers, murderers, whatever, has the harshest words for these self-righteous people. I, 
This is a challenge to me as someone who often finds myself in that position, thinking I've got it together, thinking my life is okay. I want to be continually reminded how much I need Jesus. You know, one thing we do at Cornerstone every week is we take communion, and we're reminded, this is what Jesus has done for me. Because I am lost, because I am broken, because I have screwed up, Jesus went to the cross. His blood has covered my sin. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And I need him. Not only do I need him for salvation, not only have I made that decision and my sins have been covered by his blood, but I need him all the time. Because I screw up. I make mistakes. I need Jesus. And Psalm 51 tells us, the sacrifice that God requires is that broken heart and contrite spirit God has yet to deny. This is the kind of heart and spirit that God desires from his people. Not the self-righteous like these guys that are coming and having this discussion with, with Jesus, but the kind of people that are broken, are hurting, and realize, man, you know what? I need Jesus. This is the kind of heart and spirit that God is looking for that Jesus requires from us. Jesus answered them, aren't we right, or the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? All right, these are about the two worst things they could throw at Jesus. Demon-possessed, obviously, that, that's never good. But the second part of that is uh, being a Samaritan. Now, you guys have not been with us, but we talked about, when we were talking about the woman at the well in John chapter 4, we talked about what it was, what a Samaritan was. And when, uh, when they were marched to Babylon, there were a few, there was a remnant left behind. A few of the Jews were left behind. Their captors came in, they began to uh, have children, and there was a, this mixed race and this mixed religion. So, the Samaritans came from that. And so the Samaritans, in part, held to the Old Testament, right? They believed Abraham was their father, but they also had other gods, and they worshiped in different ways. And so when they, the Jews returned, they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. And we talked about that in John chapter 4. I'm not going to get into it, but this is one of the most insulting things they could think to throw at him because they're basically telling him, your theology is terrible. You're like a Samaritan. All right, so you're like a Samaritan. Your your demon-possessed Samaritan is about the worst thing they could throw at him. Here might be the most obvious statement in all of Scripture. Jesus says, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father. All right, now he's calling God his Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word... He will never see death. If you believe in me, you will never see death. If you remember back when we went through John chapter 3, it's the story of Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, he's telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is having trouble understanding it. What he tells him, we are all physically born, but we all must be born spiritually to be born again. And so when he's talking about death here, he's not talking about the physical death. He's talking about a spiritual life lived, the eternal life. We've talked about that in John already, that when we believe in Jesus, we are given eternal life that begins when we trust, when we know the truth and the truth sets us free. Our eternal life begins then and never ends. 
And this is what Jesus is telling me. If you believe in me, you will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? You're trying to compare yourself to Abraham. You're trying to compare yourself to our father. You're trying to compare yourself to one of the greatest figures that we know. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Here he goes again. The father sent me. The father glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. Telling him again, you guys think you're children of God. You don't know him. You don't know the Father. I know him. If I said I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You know what? That Abraham you're talking about, he rejoiced in seeing my day. I don't know where in Scripture this takes place. Uh, in studying this, some, some think that maybe this is talking about Genesis chapter 22. And if you know the story in Genesis chapter 22, it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham had waited for years to have a son. For years, him and Sarah had waited to have a son. And it wasn't until he was about 100 years old when they finally had Isaac. And it was some years later, probably something 15, 20 years later, when the story of Genesis chapter 22 takes place. The story is Isaac, God has told Abraham he must sacrifice his only son, Isaac. He must sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And so he takes him up to the mountain, and he's getting ready to sacrifice him. Now, the, what I think is one of the, the coolest parts of this story is that Abraham is an old man at this time, probably close to 120, and his son is about 100 years younger. If Isaac wanted to get away, I'm pretty sure he probably could have, right? He probably could escape. A 20-year-old could probably get away from a 120-year-old man. He probably could run from him. He's probably a little stronger than him. So it seems to me Isaac was probably a willing participant in this. And so in Genesis chapter 22, we see once again, we see this, the angel of the Lord show up. And as we see other times, you see it in Genesis chapter 16, the angel of the Lord shows up, and we see that this angel of the Lord is most likely the pre-incarnate Jesus. In Genesis chapter 16, he speaks as if he is God, as if he has the authority of God. And we see him again in Genesis chapter 22. So Jesus probably shown up to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. And God, as, he, as Abraham, as he's ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, a sacrifice is given, and a ram is given in his place. And it's a picture of Jesus being the sacrifice. But also, you look at Isaac and you think, here's another great picture of Jesus. Isaac, most likely a willing participant. Most likely Abraham's only son willing to lay his life down as a sacrifice. And here we see Jesus. And we get this incredible picture once again of Jesus. The willing, the only son, a willing to be a willing sacrifice for you and for me. See, without Jesus going to the cross, without Jesus' blood being shed for me, 
I can't have a relationship with God. I can't be made right with God. I can't call God Father. I cannot be a child of God without that relationship with Jesus. I can't, I can't do it. And you see in Genesis chapter 22, he's then told, you know what? I'm going to bless the nations through you. And Jesus comes and does exactly that. Says they, they continues on in verse 57. It says, you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Okay, this isn't an excitement. This is a, you're crazy, you're nuts, you're demon-possessed, you're Samaritan. You're not 50 years old, the Jews said, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, these are some powerful words Jesus just uttered. See, if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, it's a story of the burning bush. You're probably familiar with this story, but God shows up in the burning bush to talk to Moses. And he begins to talk to Moses, and he's going to tell him, here's what you need to do, Moses. You're going to go set my people free. My people are in bondage. They're in slavery. You are going to go set them free. And in this, Moses gets a little nervous. He's trying to wonder what he's supposed to do. He says, okay, if I'm going to do this, who do I tell him sent me? And God speaks from the burning bush, and you, he says, you tell him, I am that I am. I am has sent you. I am. Yahweh, God, has sent you. And if you are a Jewish boy or a Jewish man or, or anybody, you are going to realize what Jesus is saying right here. See, before Abraham was, I am. One of the clearest point, uh, spots in the Gospels where Jesus declares himself God. I am. These guys recognize that you could read past and, well, I am, what does that mean? This crowd, they recognize what Jesus was saying. Listen to their response. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, right? He just didn't utter some meaningless words. Jesus was declaring himself God. I am. And for it, they want to kill him. Mark 14 this is exactly why Jesus was, was, was uh, crucified. Mark 14, here's what it says. He says, Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked Jesus, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him worthy of death. These words, I am, Jesus claiming to be God, is why he was crucified, is why he was ultimately put on the cross. But these words, obviously, are why when Jesus speaks, when Jesus says the truth and the truth, Jesus shall set you free, have so much power and impact. See, apart from Jesus, apart from Christ, we cannot be children of God. Apart from Jesus, we can't experience the type of freedom that he's talking about. Free from how we used to live, the lies, the past, the sin, and free to live for him. Romans 16 uh, Romans 6, 17 and 18 says this, Though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. 
you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Jesus has freed us from something to something better. And I would encourage you and challenge you this morning that if you don't know this kind of freedom, you need to know it. If you do not know what it is to know the truth and have the truth set you free and knowing the Son and having the Son set you free indeed, you need to know it. The the band is going to come back up here and we're going to have a time to remember Jesus, to think about Jesus, to know that because of what He has done for us, we have been set free. No longer a slave, no longer stuck in our past, stuck in our sin, but now free to live life and life abundant, as he says in John 10. He has freed us to live for him. And so the bread and the juice are going to be up here, and and at Cornerstone, here's kind of how we do it. We have a couple tables up here, and we would encourage you that if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, if God is your father through through the relationship with his son, we invite you to come up and remember what he has done. In Jesus' body that was broken, the bread represents. In his blood that was shed to cover our sin is represented in the juice. So we encourage you to come up, take part in this, and be humble, be broken by what God has done. That's what we're told. The sacrifice that God desires is a broken and contrite, broken heart and contrite spirit. And in remembering what Jesus has done, we can't help but be broken and contrite. If, if you would like someone to bring, if, if it's more of a struggle to get up here and you would like somebody to bring you some bread and juice, just simply raise your hand and one of the ushers will come and they will bring you the bread and the juice. For the rest of you, we would invite you, for those that know Jesus, to come partake in the bread and the juice and remember who Jesus is and what he has done. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the truth. We thank you that the truth has set us free. God, we pray this morning for those here that don't know you, that can't call you Father, that don't have a relationship with you, that have not been set free by the Son. God, we pray that they would seek you. They would seek answers. God, that they would seek the truth. God, we pray that your spirit would reveal through your word who Jesus is. God, for for those of us that know you, God, remind us that we have been freed from our past. We have been freed from our sin. We are no longer slaves, but we are free to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, follow Jesus, that you have come to give life and life abundant. We remember Jesus. We thank you for what he has done. And we know the only reason we can call you Father is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because he died, because he rose again, he conquered death, sin, and hell. So we thank you for the bread and juice, and we remember Jesus. We thank you for Jesus, his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings.
blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy them up church sing together loud praise God from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below praise him above ye heavenly host praise Father and sing. Galatians tells us that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. We invite you, if you don't know Jesus, if you have never experienced the kind of freedom that comes through Jesus, we, experience, we, we more than anything want you to know that kind of freedom. We want you to know who Jesus is, the I Am, that He has come to set you free. For those of us that know Jesus, that have a relationship with Jesus, it tells us no longer let uh, sin be, be a hindrance to us. We are no longer bound by slavery, but we have been set free, set free to follow Jesus, to pursue righteousness with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. And so we would encourage you towards that. We thank you for coming this morning. Exciting morning. We're glad to be here. We're glad to worship Jesus together. We also invite you to stick around. 
as we're going to grill and, and eat together and fellowship together, we would encourage you to do that as well. Let me pray, and then you can be dismissed. God, we thank you, first and foremost, for Jesus, that Jesus has come, that, that God has sent his only son for me, for us, that we could know freedom, that if we know the truth, we can be set free, that if we know Jesus, we are free indeed. God, may we live as free people, free to pursue you, free to pursue righteous living. Pray it and ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.